And we're just doing, I need to remind you of this because it's been so many weeks that we have taken off of this. And I want to remind you that we're just doing an overview, just a summary of chunks of the book of Isaiah just to try to glean from it what we what we may. We're only going to take, well, I, I started off uh, thinking we would only take maybe 12 or 13 weeks to go through the book, but time has gone on from us. But we are just trying to take large chunks. And tonight what I want to do is come back to something we visited a few weeks ago and kind of pick up on that in chapters 24 through 27. Now I know I say in the bulletin that we're going to do 27 through 32, but I want to back up a little bit and kind of get a running start and then Lord willing in the coming weeks uh, we'll be able to have a good uh, full head of steam to move forward in the book of, of Isaiah. Now let me just remind you that Isaiah is prophesying before the Babylonian captivity of Jerusalem. He's, he's prophesying before Nebuchadnezzar brought destruction to Jerusalem. And, and sometimes it's, it's hard, or I guess sometimes it's easy to dismiss the prophecy from the prophet. But I want you to remember that this is a real man living with real neighbors who had a real family. And this, the, the, the contents, the reality, the revelation, the truth of his prophecy was not just some um, abstract idea out there. It was something that, that, that pierced him. Something that he was carrying as a burden. And so don't forget that as, as Isaiah is delivering this prophecy, don't forget that there, don't dismiss the very real, the, the, the reality that there's a man behind this, this prophecy. And he's warning. I mean, this is very personal to him. He loves these people, and he's warning these people about impending judgment. He's warning them about the coming great judgment against Jerusalem that is coming through, ultimately through Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army, but he looks beyond that to see a greater one, a greater judgment that is on the horizon, that is in the far future of which this coming present judgment is only a prelude. Now, the last time we were together, we looked at chapters 13 through 23, or actually two times ago we were together, 13 through 23, and we saw this series of judgment on, what is it, seven or nine different nations listed there in chapters 13 through 23. God's pronouncing his judgment on the nations, and it's kind of leading up to what we're going to get to today, tonight, beginning in chapter 24. The judgment that was going to come, that he was speaking of, was coming through the Assyrian invasions. And we learned that God was bringing his judgment on these nations through the approaching Assyrian army. But something changes as we come to chapter 24. There's an intensity that ramps up in chapter 24. There's something more, something different that he begins to talk about in chapter 24 that he hasn't been speaking of in the previous chapters. Bible students, students of the Bible, refer to chapter 24 through 27 as Isaiah's apocalypse. It is the section of the book of Isaiah that sounds very similar to many sections of the book of Revelation. Isaiah is preaching in Judah. He's looking toward an intense 
worldwide judgment. and, And this has affected him so greatly. It's actually affected him physically. Let me just show you. I'll I'll just show you what I mean here. Look at chapter 24, verse 16. From the ends of the earth we hear songs of praise of the glory to of glory to the righteous one. But I say, this is Isaiah saying, I waste away. I waste away. Woe is me. Remember, woe is me before. He said that in Isaiah chapter 6 when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. For traitors have betrayed with betrayal the traitors have betrayed. He's, he's sick. He's undone. When he says, woe, woe is me, that's, the, that's like the funeral dirge. He's like, he, he is in great grief because of the contents, the revelation of this prophecy. Yet beyond that coming intense worldwide judgment he sees a time of blessing and satisfaction in Israel and tonight that's what I want us to think about I want us to think about two things I want us to think about a coming worldwide judgment and then I want us to think of a coming worldwide kingdom a coming worldwide judgment and a coming worldwide kingdom first of all let's think about the coming worldwide judgment I'm just going to read a few sections of this uh, apocalypse of Isaiah. I'll begin in verse 1 of chapter 24. Follow along with me and just get a note, uh, a sense of this coming worldwide judgment. But Yahweh, the Lord, will empty the earth and make it desolate. He will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the slave, so with his master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken his word the earth mourns and withers the the world languishes and withers the highest people of the earth languish the earth lies defiled under its inhabitants for they have transgressed the laws violated the statutes broken the everlasting covenant now one of the things that you'll notice in chapter 24 particularly is that the word earth is mentioned 16 times So you kind of get the idea that God really wants to press a truth down. What is that? That this judgment involves the earth. This judgment involves the earth. The word earth here is the focal point. This is not just what we might call a localized judgment, but is rather a worldwide judgment. Remember, Isaiah almost has his foot in two sort of time periods. He's speaking directly and he sees that judgment that is coming presently upon his people, but he is looking beyond that and he sees a greater judgment that is coming. And the the judgment that is spoken of here is attributed to the direct intervention of the Lord himself. Now a couple things. You see how this judgment is worldwide. 24.1 The Lord will empty the earth and make it, it desolate. Twist its surface, scatter the inhabitants. This is a judgment of worldwide proportions. Where does this judgment reach? It reaches the entire 
world. Verse 2, it is on, the, on every level of society. Doesn't matter high, low, economic standing, education, doesn't matter. It's as with people, so with priest, slave, with master, maid, with mistress. It's high and low and everyone in between. And you see how utterly devastating this judgment is. Chapter 24, verse 3, the earth shall be utterly empty, utterly plundered, for the, the Lord has spoken his word. Sounds, I want to say, almost eerily similar to what John writes about in Revelation chapter 6 and Revelations chapter, Revelation chapters 8 through 9 and Revelation chapters 15 through 16. And there, of course, we, we understand uh, the prelude of that is the, 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 the time of trial that is to come upon the whole earth. The reach of that judgment is absolutely worldwide and it knows no economic, no educational barriers. It is being unleashed like a flood upon the land. But what's the reason for this judgment? You see the reach of it, but what's the reason? Well, verse 5, the earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Simply stated, the reason for this judgment, if I can say it in one word, is sin. It is the breaking of, 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 of the covenant with God, the breaking of under the, the, the covenant, the promise of God. There will be and what he's saying here, he begins to speak of this curse. Verse 6, a curse devours the earth and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. You get that sense. There's, there's guilt and there's sin and there's, there's misery laid on them and they're suffering because of it. You see the, the, the earth, the, the, the words there, guilt and scorched and few men are left and mourning and languishing and there's no happiness. There's no song. Here's the picture. Isaiah sees the, the earth how it used to be, and people are lighthearted. They're merry, they're singing, they're happy, they're, they're drinking, and they're just going on about their life, and it's all happy and all joyful. And now, because the judgment has been poured out, it's all gone. No sound of music, no happiness, no eating and drinking, no merriment. Music has stopped. They had been partying. They had been singing. But it's all gone now. And the city, verse 10, is wasted. The city here, I think, representative of the entire earth because that's been the context of the entire chapter. The city is wasted and broken down. Every house is shut up so that none can enter. And he sees this. The only cry that you hear in the streets is the outcry. There is no wine. There's no sustenance. It's famine, no joy, no gladness. Delegation, desolation is left in the city. The gates are battered into ruins. For thus it shall be in the midst of the earth among the nations. As when an olive tree is beaten, as at the gleaning when the grape harvest is done. And you can, all the fruit is gone. The leaves are gone over. It just looks like it's been absolutely ravaged. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin. So you see the reach of this judgment and the reason for it, but then there's a response to the judgment in verse 14. They, he says, lift up their voices. They sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord. They shout from the west. Now, 
I, I can't help but to see how this perhaps foreshadows a bit of what we read in Revelation chapter 19. What he's saying here is that the righteous understand that this is, the, this is right. That, that God's judgment is right. That God's judgment is just. He says it. They lift up their voices. They sing for joy. God's doing His, his thing. God is bringing His judgment Maybe, perhaps it's, he's, he's, he's picturing or thinking of the angels singing for God bringing his judgment. But while that's happening in heaven, there's something else going on in the heart of the prophet. He's not singing. He's not rejoicing. Look what he says. Verse 16, I, I waste away. He's speaking He's speaking not just of something far off and abstract, but he's bringing it down to these people whom he loves. The people that he sees every day at market. The people that he passes by on the streets. And he's wasted away because he sees the impending doom of judgment that is coming. He says, I'm surrounded by traitors, people who, who have turned their backs on God. There's a day coming when the Lord will judge. He sees this. He sees the day coming when the Lord will judge the entire earth. I mean, you see this. You, you see it. Verses 18 through 20, the, 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 the earth quaking and heaving and shaking and splitting staggering like a drunken man, verse 20, swaying like a hut sways in the wind with its heavy transgression upon it, falls and it will not rise again. And he sees that in it. He's got a pit in his stomach. He's sick over it. And he longs for the people to listen. But he knows they won't. Because God told him, you go and Preach and you go and prophesy, and they're not going to listen. The reach of it is worldwide. The reason, sin. The response in heaven, there's joy. And yet, in the heart of Isaiah, absolute grief. And look, who's responsible for this judgment? Verses 21 through 23. On that day, the Lord, Yahweh, that's, that's the name of God. Yahweh will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. God is the one who is responsible. He himself will dole out punishment on the spiritual forces in heaven and on the political forces on earth. They're gathered up, he says, they're gathered together as prisoners in a pit, shut up in a prison, and after many days they will be punished. He's going to reserve them for judgment. When will he do this? Verse 23. In that time the Lord himself He'll do it in the time when the Lord Himself will reign on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed. What do you mean? Because of the great and overwhelming, refulgent glory of the Lord 
reigning in Zion. The moon and the sun and we as if they're ashamed because of, of the Lord himself reigning on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem because his glory will be so apparent. His glory, he says, will be before his elders. That's what Isaiah sees. He saw the same thing that Zechariah saw. The Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. He saw the same thing that Micah saw. Uh, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and it shall be lifted up above the hills and people shall flow to it and many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. He's seeing this, this worldwide judgment. It's been unleashed. And that leads into this, that, that, that coming worldwide judgment leads into this coming worldwide kingdom. You can see the transition there from verse 21 through 23. And then moving into chapter 25, look at this. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. You have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will, be, it will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in, the, in his distress a shelter from the storm and a shade from the, the heat for the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall like heat in a dry place you subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud so the song of the ruthless is put down on this mountain look at this on this mountain the lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food a feast of well-aged wine, a rich, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain and Moab shall be trampled down in his place as straw is trampled down in a dunghill. And he will spread out his hands in the midst of it as a swimmer spreads his hands out to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skill of his hands and the high fortifications of his walls he will bring down, lay low and cast to the ground, to the dust. He's speaking here of this coming worldwide kingdom. 
and begins in verses 1 through 5, you notice this note of praising God. Praising God for what? For faithfulness to His plans from of old. You see what he says? I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old. And then he says this, faithful and sure. What Isaiah sees is that God is actually fulfilling his word. God is doing what he said he would do. And so he is praising God as the one who is faithful in the midst of this judgment. Faithful to his plans. And that's something for us to know about God. God is, 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 is faithful to what he says he will do. And then he moves on from praising God to reflecting on the promises of God's rich blessing in chapter 25, 6 through 12. On this very mountain, he says, and then he looks forward to this great feast that's prepared. Think about this. Think about the, the, the utter disparity, the utter emptiness that he's just spoken of that comes upon the whole earth. And now it's like he does a complete 180 and speaks of fullness and richness and 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 the, this great feast that is prepared for the people. Not just any wine, but well-aged wine. Not just any food, but but the the, the full of marrow and and so perfect and so exactly what you want. It's like a great feast and celebration. And so as he sees this people, again, this is not an abstract reality. This is something that he wants to bring down to the people and, and cause them to look forward to. The great blessings, the rich blessings of, of God. And not just those great provisions, but the, the, the absolute presence of God Behold, this is our God, the one who has wiped away tears. I mean, how can you not see the, 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 hear the echoes of the book of Revelation wiping tears away from the faces and the reproach of his people taking away from the earth and God in his very presence there among them. And he's just, I mean, he's just setting the table for these people who would not want to come to an invitation like that? Look at this rich table laid out for you and all the bounty of it and God himself present there wiping away tears and bringing, taking away your reproach. And Isaiah says, oh yes, God, yes, do that for my people. Hard-hearted and stubborn and rebellious though they are. He moves from that, and I suppose we could take the end of chapter 25 and really all of 26 and 27, I guess we could use as a, as a conclusion. We did this a couple of weeks ago, but I don't think I did justice to it. I just want to review it again. What I see happening here at the end of chapter 25 and then in 26 and moving over to 27 is this call to the people. This, we could call it an invitation. An invitation for the people to whom Isaiah is preaching. And he is calling them to trust the Lord forever. To forsake 
pride and arrogance. You know, in that last, in that, in that great day, uh, Isaiah pictures the, the great obstacle of, of their enemies being taken out of the way like a swimmer parts the waters. God just removing the obstacles, taking the enemies out of the way and showing that, that there's no help and there's no hope to remain in pride and arrogance, but rather to come in humility before the Lord. And, and in that day, he says in chapter 26, verse, verse 1, this song, song will be sung in the land of Judah. What is? We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And here's the invitation. Here's the call. Here's the command. Trust in Yahweh forever. Why? Because he is an everlasting rock. In our day and age, we, we are a people longing for stability. We're longing for something that's sure. Give me the sure thing. Give me something that's stable. And that's, that's really the bane of our existence today, isn't it? Think, we have no idea. The only thing we're sure of is that something's going to change tomorrow and change in a big way. Right? And he is calling the people, he's preaching to these people to trust the Lord forever because he is the everlasting rock. You see, what he's telling us here in chapter 26 is that his, God's trustworthiness, transcends time and space. See, that's why I say it's important that we remember that, 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 that this is not just some abstract uh, uh, prophecy, some some words that he's just spouting off out there as if he's as if he's a you know in a trance just sort of moving his mouth and but but it rather has great impact on the people to whom he is speaking at this very moment Isaiah is reminding the people that God will do what he says he will do God is worthy of your trust he's reminding the people that prideful arrogance of and self-trust, there's no sure hope in that a- at all. And that's what he says later in chapter 26. You want to have peace? Peace in these days? Peace when everything is changing? Peace when you know that judgment is coming? Peace when about things that you don't even know? Well then, trust the Lord. Rest in Him fully and completely. Isaiah in chapter 26, verses 9 and 10, My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me yearnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, then the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. And he's longing for God's judgments. He says that's how, that's how the inhabitants are going to learn that you're faithful. But then he comes back to reality again and says, But nevertheless, the wicked don't learn. The wicked don't learn that. Verse 10, if favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. Isaiah is saying, God, show your judgment so that people will know that you mean business, that you're serious. That you're not playing. And then he calls the people. At the end of chapter 26, hide, he says, come, verse 20. 
Come, my people, enter your chambers, shut your doors behind you, hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will disclose the blood shed on it and will no more cover its slain in that day. The Lord, verse, 20, verse 1 of 27, in that day the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. Unmistakable reference to his victory over Satan, over the dragon. He, he says he is the protector of Israel. He's the one who protects the vine. He's the one who keeps the vine. And he's the one in whom you can trust. And as I, I see Isaiah and I hear Isaiah and I'm, I'm seeking to listen to this prophecy, I can't help but to realize uh, and, and, and to feel the weight of it as, as he does. I, I, I remember those, those nights by my bedside, on my knees, crying out, God, save this person. God, have mercy on this person. Have mercy on my family member. Many of you know what it's like to shed tears, longing for people to be able to avoid the sure judgment that you know is going to come because God has revealed. And the sense of a, a pit in your stomach when, when maybe just a little bit of the heat of hell is unleashed. And you long for people to be delivered. You long for people to turn and trust in the everlasting God who is the rock. And that's what Isaiah is longing for. He, he's faithfully speaking the message that God has called him to speak. He's faithfully delivering the message. And he's doing that in time and space. As a real man. And that's why I want to say to you tonight. You know. And I know. That judgment is coming. A serious. Worldwide. Judgment. You would be. Absolutely foolish. To not prepare yourself. For that judgment. You'd be absolutely foolish to not make preparations for your soul for that coming judgment. To continue on in, in, in the arrogance of self-trust and of, of man-made religion and of human goodness. What kind of shelter is that going to provide you in that day of such far-reaching judgment? What kind of Shelter is that going to provide? The only, the only shelter is what, what did top lady say? The, the rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Are you resting in the rock? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ who, listen, bore the penalty for your sin and my sin when he died on the cross. He took the wrath of God in our place 
so that if anyone believes on him, they would never face that wrath, ever. There is a great table set before us today. A table of plenty. A table of provision. A table of great blessing. There is a future. A future in which God will wipe away the tears from our eyes. You would be, you'd be foolish to turn your back on that. And yet, the world today is full of people who keep saying, no, I'm okay. I'm all right. I can do my, my own. What God says is that pride and arrogance, He said, I'm going to wipe that away like a swimmer shushes the water away as he's swimming. Just, it's nothing to Him. And Isaiah is faithfully dispensing this message of judgment, this He's faithfully dispensing, dispensing this message of coming uh, worldwide kingdom and calling the people. Please, come. Isn't that what he, he says later? As we're getting into the later chapters. Come on. Come. Buy, what is it? Buy milk without money. Come, you know, let us reason together. Though your sins like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Come on. And that's his faithful message, and that's the message for us tonight, for you to, to, to consider. Have you come to Christ? Have you come to the rock of your salvation that will shield you from the judgment to come? If you're not, well, tonight's the night for you. Tonight's the night for you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to repent of your sin, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who is the sure foundation, the sure salvation. You just trust Him. Turn from your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. So Lord, we are thankful for just this, this exhortation tonight, really, to revisit again the the assurance of our salvation, the, the hope of escape from the coming judgment. Our hope is Christ who bore the penalty of our sin when He suffered and bled and died on the cross. It pleased the Father to bruise Him so that we might be adopted, we who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who trust Him, who rest on Him, who embrace Him. And I pray tonight, O oh Lord, that there are any who are here who are not, who have not embraced Christ, that You, by Your own good grace and kindness, would draw them close to You, they might return, they may repent of their sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to live as people who have an assurance of no condemnation. 
to, to live in such a way that we are humbled before you and desirous to live for you these days until you come. And though things are changing so quickly and so widely in our world, we thank you that you transcend time and space, you transcend circumstances, that you are the rock, the everlasting rock. Thank you that you have made for us a way of eternal salvation. Thank you for the great promise of the coming kingdom when the Lord Himself will reign such that the sun and the moon will no longer be able to shine because of the glory of the Lord and His anointed. May we be serious about these things. We pray this in Christ's name. And together all God's people said, Amen. Well, thank you for being here tonight. And I trust that... uh, You'll have some good time of fellowship as we uh, continue enjoying time together. God bless you. Thank you.